Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, good morning. It's Monday morning after Tisha B'Av. And I have a lot to, a lot of talks to do this week. Um, today's, uh, what do you call it? Today's uh, talk of uh, the biography is being sponsored by the Gnozim, by the Stefanski Foundation. They're doing a um, a auction of all those rare books um, and rare uh, manuscripts and things. It's quite remarkable, <laughs> right? And uh, they sent me the uh, the catalog. If you have a chlal interest in this whatsoever, um, the name of this business, you, you go online and you look at Gnozim, but with a Y. So it's G-E-N-A-Z-Y-M. You just hit on that and that's the auction house. And it's really quite remarkable. All, they have original stuff from hundreds of years ago, plus recent stuff as well. It's 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 really amazing, right? And uh, they asked me to do one of the people over here. And um, the name Ibn Gavirol came up. I said, I'm sure I did this. Shlomo Ibn Gavirol, the famous poet from the 11th century. But I checked with my team and I didn't. And one of the things that they're offering over here is an incunabula, which means one of the old printings before the 1500s of uh, Shlomo Ibn Gavirol's Mivchar Hapanimim. Mivchar Hapaninim, The Choice of Pearls, which is an old Musser book of... Um, of one-liners, zinger one-liners, or two-liners. Um, but that's actually, so if you're interested in the original printing from 1484, I kid you not, you can buy something printed from the 15th century, not even the 14th century. You understand they started the printing press very shortly before this. So in Jewish history, this is literally one of the very first books, Jewish books ever printed. One of the Jewish books ever printed. It's uh, out of my range, because you're looking at something like 50 grand, but uh, the, what do you call it? It's a quite remarkable, and it's a beautiful print, because that's when uh, printing was an art, and the paper was super, and the letters were good. Anyway, the, the long and the short of it is, I said I'm going to go and undertake this, even though really I shouldn't, because I consider Ibn Gavirro to be too large of a sugya to do justice to. But, you know, they say the perfect is the enemy of the good, and I was just in the mood, so I'm going to do it. Um... I repeat, if you're interested in any of these things, and not everything is 50 grand, a lot of it is less, you know, a lot is a lot cheaper. Uh, there's a whole fat catalog over here I'm looking at, and it's all online, and, you know, if you want, I'm sure they'll send it to you, anything like that. You know, see, this is the world of the people that are interested, not in the Mona Lisa's, but in Jewish stuff, okay? The Jewish stuff. Um, whew. So let me uh, jump right into it. Just hold on one second. Sorry, I got interrupted. Um, anyway, here we go. We're talking today about a famous poet, one of the greatest poets, arguably the greatest. And if I'm wrong, he's up in the top two or three. Ashlam Ben Gavirol, who lived in the ten hundreds. Um, here we come to the golden age of the Jews in Spain, as they call it. And the real golden age of the Jews in Spain is the ten hundreds. 
I'm speaking now from a cultural perspective, in terms of the country, excuse me, the contributions to Jewish culture. Uh, it's interesting because there were Jews, I've talked about it many times, but just to cause it very briefly, there were Jews in Spain in significant numbers ever since the Arabs conquered it, which was in the 700s. Uh, you don't hear of anything going on particular in terms of impressive Jewish culture, Yiddishkeit, of one form or another, in the 700s or the 800s. When it comes to the 900s, so then you start to, with Chazdeh ben Shabrut, who was sort of like the unofficial prime minister under the Arab ruler, and the Arabs themselves built up an extremely impressive situation in the 900s. It was called the Caliphate of Cordoba, and it was like three-quarters of Spain. Uh, I don't want to get too detailed on this. And uh, that's when Jews, for various reasons, started to imitate the Arabs uh, with interesting success in many areas of literary culture. Any educated or intelligent people wants to have a culture. If you're Jewish or Muslim, you have a certain handicap to Hainu. No statues, no pictures, or anything like that. Right? No statues, no pictures, or anything like that. Um, you know, Los Sasu Peso. And that meant that if you're Jewish or Muslim in the Middle Ages, and the, you know, no paintings, none of that kind of stuff. Certainly no statues. Um, that cuts up a whole area of art. Right? The Christians could do whatever they want. And did. Um, nevertheless, the Arabs created a very impressive civilization uh, skirting around all this. I'm talking about the Islamic architecture, for example, which they did, like Shlomo Melch, with uh, geometrics and things like that. The Islamic art is, is, is quite remarkable. The Jews did not create a Jewish art. If you look at the old synagogues in Spain, from Chazde Shabbat's time. They're extremely beautiful, but in the Arab style. Now, they're Jewish. They have Jewish letters and all that. On the other hand, in the non-physical, in the literary, then there's no impediments, because it's not a Zara. Nothing of, uh, no statues, no images. And so the Arabs did amazing things with the written word. So, so did the Jews. The Arabs started uh, poetry, philosophy, Grammar, ah, this, that, and the other. And they produced impressive stuff in their culture. It's got nothing to do with the Jews in their culture. Eventually, the Jews, living in Spain particularly, began imitating that, but in the Jewish key. That's an interesting part. Uh, that's what we do. We don't come up with our own original stuff usually. We take whatever the host society has, but we selectively appropriate it and give it a Jewish spin. <clears throat> in America, you can think of music, for example, is like that. Uh, if not for all the Jewish knockoffs of the regular music, people would be listening to Jewish music. Uh, the literary content, the novels, and all this other kind. It's very American, you get it? But it's, it's from. So in our culture today, nobody's saying... Or you can't have a magazine like the Mishpacha or something like that. Or the Ated, because the Gaim have newspapers and the Gaim have uh, magazines. Yeah, okay. The, the form is not important. The content is important. And so as long as the content is from, they're okay with it. That's how our society has evolved. Okay?
So in Spain, you had, just as you had among the Arabs, an elite of uh, thinkers, poets, and all that kind of junk. So the Jews produced this in small numbers. Uh, the Arabs also were into Islam and Islamic law and all that business. They certainly were. The religious stuff, the Jews did too. And again, starting in the 900s, Spain became a Malcolm Torah of the first rank. That's the story of four captives and all that. Now, this all started in the 900s. But as always happens, it takes a while for it to get rooted and uh, to develop. Again, without going into details, because I'm not doing a seminar here, just understand that by the time you get to the 10 hundreds, the stuff had matured and flowered. In Torah, in poetry, in grammar, in philosophy, this is how it went. The same thing happened to the game. So, if you're talking about Spain, in the 900s, you had that great unitary Arab state called the Caliphate, the Caliphate of Cordoba, ruled by Abdurman and these other guys, which was extremely impressive. And they built a remarkable thing. Adayom was there. The Arabs considered that like the peak of their achievement. Um, but in the early 1000s, the innate Arab tendencies towards disorder, revolution, what we call the Arab Spring and all that, asserted itself. And they shot themselves in the foot. And so the centrifugal tendencies prevailed over the centripetal tendencies. The things anti-Achtus prevailed over the Achtus. And so instead of having a single great empire constituting three-quarters of Spain and Portugal, they ended up having a revolution, destroying the central government, and then every ruler went into business for himself. That's called the Ten Hundreds. And so the single state was replaced by what they called the Taifa states, which is about 20 of them, maybe more, um, in which all the little rulers set up their own country. Uh, and each one was fighting against each other, and that was good for the Christians in the north, because they eventually were able to play A off against B, and B against A, and the Christians took over little by little. Uh, so that's the 10 hundreds, or the 11th century in the history of Spain. If you're Bechlal interested in what I'm saying, just go and Google the Taifa, T-A-I-F-A, a map, and you'll see the different parts of Spain, each one's a different country, and each one's an Arab ruler, a little king or something like that. And um, it's a certain political dysfunction. <clears throat> However, it was an unusual flowering of culture. The greatest stuff to come out of the Arabs in Spain, and maybe the Arabs of all time, was produced in these areas, in Taifa states in Spain, um, in Spanish Peninsula, in the 10 hundreds and early 11 hundreds. And this is, um, again, from the Torah perspective, which I'm not talking about today, because I wouldn't consider Shlomo Gabriel a big Torah expert. Uh, this is a period of uh, Shmuel Nugget, the, the, the Ibn Giyat, the uh, Rif, the Rimagash, and so forth. Very impressive in their way. Um, now, the Jews in other areas really excelled and produced great works uh, in what they call Haskalah in the 10 hundreds, particularly in the early 11 hundreds. And particularly in the area of poetry, which they were copying from the Arabs, but they put it in the Jewish way. 
And probably the greatest among these, or certainly one of the greatest, was our hero today, Shlomo Ibn Gabirol, who was um, born, I think, in uh, Cordoba, or maybe or maybe Malaga, that's right, then ended up in Saragossa, and then died in Valencia. Now, if you don't know Spain, what I just said doesn't mean anything to you. But if you know a little bit, it does. And like I said before, you can educate yourself. And you can simply go, you know, Google a map of the Taifa states, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. See, so float around from place to place. Now, Shlomo Ben Gavirov uh, either lived to be 30 years old or lived to be 40 or 50. There's some machlokas and historians. I think he died younger. Um, the, those closer to him say that. And it fits very well with his personality. So you're dealing with a person who was a poet, brilliant genius, and tragic life. That's the perfect combination. <laughs> to be a great poet, you have to have a brilliant genius, a tragic life, and a girl has to break your heart or something like that. Um, so let's go with the shot that he lived to be 30 years old. Um, and again, the contemporary said that. Although others disagree, there's, I don't want to get into that. doesn't matter to you. <laughs> If he did, it's unbelievable. In in 30 years, he wrote maybe a thousand poems, all of which are gems. He doesn't have any bad ones. And uh, his claim to fame is a poet. Derech Agav, he also wrote a little bit of philosophy books. And what's being auctioned off in the Gnosim is one of his Derech Agav things. Uh, that's not his main thing at all. Right? His main thing was the composition of poems, Hebrew. Now, there's a very interesting personality, and as I said many times, the yeshiva world doesn't know what to do with these great poets or these great grammarians. Like, what do you fit them into? You must say, oh, Avada Gavisti learned all day long, and only a night when he went to the bathroom, that's he wrote the poems or the philosophy books, which is baloney. Get over the fact, you just got to get over it, that there were people, by name, the Iker was not Gemara, they were from, everybody I'm talking about was Hashem Shabbos. And... The great poets, like I'm talking about, were not only from, not from in their own terms, but very God-oriented, you understand? They're very interested in what God is and how they can relate to him. But on the other hand, you know, they're not necessarily philosophers. They may be, may not be. Ibn Gavirol certainly is a philosopher. Uh, but the same guy who can write the firmest poem in the world, and I am not exaggerating when I say that, can also write a poem that's uh, if not X-rated, it's certainly R-rated. And uh, poems about wine, women, and song. Wine and women and song. And life and this and that and the other. And you just got to get over it. And if it was nowadays, it wouldn't happen that would happen. What happened is these poets, Yehuda Levi, Ibn Gavirol, uh, Shmuel Nugget, all these other people, Ibn Moshe Ibn Ezra, you know, today, they would say like this, since he went to public school, so, um, what do you call it? Since he went to public school, you know, we can't use him. Or since he went to college, we can't use him. Nowadays, there's like an insistence the person has to be totally pure, or at least a Baal Shibu, you reject your past. In the Middle Ages, it's not like that. The way the Jewish tradition developed was, you have these people, you know, parts of them are from, parts of them are less from, but the Kalali throws them a couple from part. And only masculine and poetry freaks like myself are interested in the other part. Um, that's who he was.
Now, specifically, our hero was born in 1020. And if I'm right, he died in 1050. If I'm wrong, he died in 1060. You know, something like that. <clears throat> Big deal. The point is, I know it doesn't mean anything to you, but it's a short life. It's a fascinating because um, he tells us himself in his poems. He had, he had a lot of uh, strikes against him. Um, he was short, fat, and ugly. He says so. Right? There's poems about that. You're making fun of me because I'm short, fat, and ugly. He had no luck with girls. On the other hand, he seems to have been infatuated. This girl, that girl, the famous poem, Abigail. Maybe I'll read you later on. What's with Abigail? And it doesn't mean that her name was Abigail. It could be. It's possible. Or he's simply thinking poetically of the biblical Abigail, whom Dovin Melch was in love with. Remember? The wife of Nobel. She took my soul. Just one look with her eyes. Took my soul and then dumped me. <laughs> right? So, this, you know, the girl infatuated me and then dumped me. Friends told her that I hate her. And it's not even true. So he's got like a Jane Austen situation. You know, some beautiful girl, if this is true. And then he was afraid to talk to her, and people said the wrong thing, and you know, they messed up the, the thing. Imzos, Imshaki Dizosai, despite this slander, although she has forgotten my affection, Eshmar Bris I'm in love with her. I will, I will, Eshmar Bris I will continue to maintain the covenant of love, and I will not forget her. Shalach Beno Yishai Lebeso, the son of Yishai. Remember, David Amel sent messengers to Abigail in the biblical story. I went to her house and I didn't send a messenger. <laughs> so David proposed marriage to her, if you know the story of Abigail. After her husband died, David sent messengers, like we say, Shachanim. He said, I went to her myself. In the time of Gullus now, time of exile, there are no Carbonus uh, 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 anymore. If there were Carbonus, uh, I would offer up carbonus to her. You know, I worship you. Not literally, you know. He's a poet. So that's the type of person he was. He clearly had the Asperger's or something like that. And I'm not, I, I don't say that to be cynical. Okay? Uh, like many great poets, he wasn't tall, dark, and handsome. And he had a very rough personality. His father died when he was young. Um, if he was what he was. Oh, yeah. And he had some kind of sickness that never left him. That's why I think he died young. Uh, some historians speculate he had a, a skin problem. Of this problem, this is a person who was in pain all of his life. I know what that's like. Oh, God, thank God I have all my life. But lately, you, know, you get second half of your life. You get this ache and that ache, but it never left him. That's, that is no joke at all. Let's say he had a back problem. I'm just making this up. For all of his life. That's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. Let's say he lived to be 30, 40 years old, 50, whatever. Never a day without pain. It's and, and and the others don't have pain. You get the others don't have issues. Why me? Now, this can make a person hate God, or this can be a person closer to God. In his case, he combined an ugly body with a beautiful mind, with a genius mind. And one of the things he does is he's trying to, throughout his life, you know, talk to God. I said, why is this happening to me? 
and I would, and I'm really looking for an answer. I I yearn to have mamasha conversation with you, right? And from these whole um, combinations, what I just said, the pain and the girls and the this and the looks and the genius, um, and somebody who studied clearly Islamic poetry, but is very from at the same time in his own way, um, he you produce this genius. But he's a genius that's impossible to be around. Um, he, he, he can't uh, help bite the hand that feeds him. And he can't help screaming at everybody all around him. And so geniuses like this, and he is a genius. And he endowed the Jewish people with amazing stuff. You have to have the attitude that I'm not going to let his insults get to me because it's a work of a genius. Like you say in the Yeshiva world, and Eloy is different. The Eloyim are crazy, but they're Eloyim. So just get out of the way, you understand? You will forgive in them what you wouldn't forgive in others because the guy's an Eloy. That kind of approach, you understand? That kind of approach. And in his life, once in a while, he would find somebody who was willing to be like that. So as he's growing up, he's already a genius writing amazing poems in pure Hebrew. They're hard, but they're Givaldic. Ibn Gavir cannot be read by the average person unless you sit down and say, I guess I'll make a lean with of this. Uh, already from 15, 16 years old, he's writing these poems. He found a rich guy to support him for a while. Um, I told you before, this is the age of the Taifa states. And so all these Arabs, you, Jerry, and Spain are broken up into 20 different kingdoms, 20, 25 kings, whatever it is. And one of them is Saragossa the north and in some of these places the arab rulers had what they call court jews uh in which jews could be of service to the ruler and sometimes rise in high position sort of like khazdai bin shapur did with the caliph abdurman that i spoke about in the past but khazdai was extremely careful around the guy same thing like the rambam was you had to be very careful Never to do the wrong thing. Always say the right thing. Be very diplomatic with everybody. Not make a false move. It was dancing on eggs. Shmuel Hanugid was at that time. And he became the court Jew and eventually the prime minister in Granada, which is one of these 20 or 25 states. And he was so good at what he did that he actually conquered and annexed an extra kingdom, Malaga. Right? Now, I know you guys out there you're thinking of Ken and Malaga. So, <laughs> but the word is actually Malaga. I've been there. Uh, there's actually a statue of Ibn Gabriel there. Yeah, and somebody put up. Um, which is, you know, in the Spanish coast, the coast of the soul. And uh, Shmuel Anugga was an Isnam. You know, he um, he pulled it off. And he survived, you know, on the top of all of his enemies uh, in an extraordinary way. I did, I think, a podcast on him or his son. But his son couldn't pull it off. His son was killed by the mob. So it was a very risky kind of business. In Saragossa, there was this guy, Abu Hassan uh, Yikutil, and he seems to have read our hero's poems when he's 15, 16 years old. He clearly was a connoisseur. He could tell the good from the bad. And he said, I have a weirdo genius in our hands over here, and I'm going to support him for cholesterol purposes. As a powerful, well-to-do Jew... I'm going to be a patron. As the Muslims were patrons of the Islamic stuff, I'll be a patron of this stuff. And he would send him checks. And so here you have a guy 
all the way down in Malaga, and maybe nobody pays much attention because he doesn't come rich and powerful family, and physically he's not prepossessing. As they say before, he doesn't have much luck. But far away, there's a connoisseur who's read his stuff. Like you'd say today, he listen to his podcast or something like that. I mean, I don't know, he's such a muscle. And, uh, and he said, this guy uh, is worthy of support. And by the way, in return, Shlomo Grill wrote a lot of poems about you could tell, you know, very, how lofty he is and all. That's what you did. That is how, that is how art has operated throughout history. You needed rich patrons. And the greatest of the artists had to shoot the bull and make up stuff about how great their patrons are, because that's how it goes. That's why a lot of famous painters, for example, will paint the families that are patrons, even though they're nobodies. No, it's not true. He's paying the bills, you see? Now, the problem is that this court Jew fell from power and was killed, as happens in these intrigues in these Arab countries. And so when our hero was like 18 or 19, all of a sudden the Parnassus is out. His patron died. And... The question was, what are you going to do now? And he finds a new patron in Shmuel Hanagid, who we've talked about before, who was the other court Jew in Granada. So you go south. Uh, the problem is, Shmuel Nagid was a nice fellow, but he was also a great poet. And he was also a tremendous Talmud which our hero wasn't. And he was also a philosopher and a, and a grammarian and this, and that, and the other. So... At least what Shmuel Anogi figured was like this. I'm being a nice guy, support this guy who's producing these amazing poems, especially the Frum poems, because he is able to um, uh, compose these things that are just amazing. Uh, and a lot of which has been added to the davening, especially by the Sephardim. Okay? So one of my favorites is is the, uh, the Rashus Lakadish, right? Ibn Ezra did the same thing, Moshe Ibn Ezra. This is what you do. I think, I believe the Sephardim do it now somehow in Yom Kippur. Used to be in the Chakras, and they do it somewhere else, wherever. I'm not Sephardi, I don't know. But Nusus Akash, he's evoking the pictures of the angels, but it's a rap song. It's an Ivrit rap song. Shin Nanim, Shan Nanim, Kenitzotim, Yil Havu. He's talking about the, the fire angels in heaven. Latehem, umatehem, ke'en kalol, yitzavu, mulkise, misnase, bekol raash, yirhavu, hem mahze, zelaze, lahagdish el, yehavu, havu la donai bene, elim, havu. You see? And if you know the words mean, he's talking about the angels in heaven, uh, and some kipper, the whole shul, I mean, I use a rap song because it is a rap kind of thing, but the whole shul is singing it, right? And the rhythm and the rhyme is amazing. You know, you see what I'm saying? Uh, and I'm no expert on the pentameter and all the rest of it. I'm a civilian, but I know what I like. And it goes on, he's like, like 10 stanzas like this. Hamun machne, hamishne, al yadech, asmol nizkoch, v'yal tzvao, unzio, gavriel, han nizkoch, bestrofim, lalofim, bechel kaved, meod nizkoch, ze efo, ve'ele po, ve'ki sekid, yishos hamukoch, and so on and so forth. Now, that's one of a million. He wrote hundreds of these. And um, they're that good. Okay? Now, um, 
the most among the most famous. They say he wrote Adon Olam Hashem I don't know if that's actually true, but that's the kind of thing he would do. The other one that he did write is actually better than Adon Olam, but it never took off. I've seen it in some sedurim, um, which is amazing. Shachar Vakeshka. I used to memorize this. Shachar Vakeshka Tzuri Mizgabi. You know, this you say in the morning. Shachar Vakeshka. I seek you in the morning. But Shachar in Hebrew also means L'Shachar, to pray. And so I pray to you and I seek you. You know, knows, he knows the Hebrew, the double entendres. Erech lifonecha shachri v'gamar bi. Lifne gedulascha emad v'ebohel. Ki encha tereh kol machshavosli bi. So you stand up in the morning before davening, like when we would say Adon Olam. Instead of simply saying Adon Olam, we praise God. You say, encha tereh kol machshavosli bi. You know everything I'm thinking. Right? Ma'zeh ashe yuchal halevo la'ashon la'asos. Ma'koch ruch b'kir bi. What can I say? In other words, there's no sense of me davening. You know everything already, and I don't want to shoot the bull. But since since you commanded prayer, it's just high quality stuff. Okay, and there's I'll say it again. I could sit here for an hour, and I'm not exaggerating. In fact, two or three hours, and that's not an exaggeration because you wrote hundreds and hundreds of these. And they're all good. They're all good, right? Now, um, he has every type of poem in the world. He has ones where they, uh, I mean, little, <laughs> the, the religious ones, I mean, that's my nature. The religious ones are the ones that usually catch your attention, but the others are good also. Shade Yakshi Ladal Vyaser. O Lord, who listens, Ladal Vyaser, to the poor who pray. How long are you going to keep away from me? I'm davening to Hashem, I don't get anything back. That's an honest answer. That's an honest reply. How long are you going to hide yourself from me? Lal v'yom etof ekra b'leiv nachum. I cry. I cry to you every day, day and night. Ode l'chol tamei kichas chol yoser. Malki l'chol chilol. Libi b'chol yiftach. I trust in you. Kicholim chalam sasum yiftach al poser. But you're like a chalam sasum, a dream that's not comprehensible. I'm not hearing it. This is honest davening. Hine shalti l'akshiv l'shilasi. All I want is show me that you're listening to my prayer. Let me hear something. Not more, not less. So it's not just you daven, you know, wrote and all the rest of it. And one and one and one of these. Now, um, um, I usually, when it comes to medieval poetry, uh, Spanish poetry especially, uh, the best is um, Brody and Sherman. This guy Heinrich Brody wrote a thing, Mivchar, what is it? Ooh, Mivchar Shir Evrit. You probably get it online somewhere. Um, and it doesn't have any notes, but it's arranged very, very nicely. Very, very nicely. And he has, I bet you, 50 pages on uh, Ibn Gaviril and his uh, different sorts of poems. And and, and uh, properly so. Uh, you name it. He can describe storms. He can describe day and night. He can describe the, the, the you know the, the the changing of the seasons, uh, and in 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 heavy duty high class ways, it's amazing. But he had a, a, an uncontrollable temper. Now again, then I have experience with this with some people, people who are in physical pain all the time. For example, people have back pain or this pain, that pain. They have a bad temper. It's not their fault. It's a never. God forbid you actually go around continuously with pain. It is no joke at all. And he was like that. 
So when he writes these things, he's pouring out, you know, what he really feels. He's saying, Rabbi Shalom, <laughs> why me? Right? What's the purpose behind all this? And um, there's an amazing thing I'm going to read to you. Uh, not many people know this. After him, a generation or so or two after him, came Moshe Ibn Ezra. This is not the Ibn Ezra and the Chumash. That's Abraham Ibn Ezra. This is his cousin, who was a great poet. Classically speaking, years ago, they used to say there's three big poets in Spain. I mean, the biggest. And then there are the others. The three biggest were Yehuda Levi, Shlomo Ibn Gabriel, and um, Moshe Ibn Ezra. <clears throat> Maybe now they modified a little bit more. As you know, I'm personally, my personal shtick is Al-Kharizi. Uh, that's my, you know, thing, although he's not in the same league as the others in terms of lofty, but everybody likes what they like. The, um, it's like Chazonis, you know. Uh, but no question about Ibn Gabiro. No question about that. Now, Moshe Ibn Ezra, in addition to writing hundreds of his poems, which are very good also, also very painful and so forth, um, in fact, he's a little bit, in my opinion, of an imitator of Ibn Gabiro. But anyway, he wrote a book. You, this is going to be, sound funny. A History of Poetry. Now, you know, if you're a modern person, you say like this. No, you live back at the Middle Ages. How can you write a history of poetry? You forget that everybody is in the present, and whatever was a generation earlier is already the past. And so he wrote in Arabic a book called History of Jewish Poetry. Isn't that funny? Which was translated about 100 years ago called into Shirat Israel by Benzin Hopper. It's a classic of the old Wissenschaft stuff. And um, recently it's been retranslated, I understand, in a more exact Ibn Tibbon type translation. I'm not interested in it. The one I have is just fine. And he evaluates uh, the poets. See, I'm talking about a group of people whose gonzo life was the poetry. It's so strange to us. Because by us, at the most, the poetry is just like an extra. No, that was the Iker by them. It's interesting. It was the, that was their Iker. That's who these guys were. I repeat, they were Shoma Shabbos, they were Shoma Jeremiah, all the rest of it. How they worked it out with X-rated poems, I'm not 100% sure, but there's Fardim in the Middle Ages, so anything's possible. And actually, it was just part of life. And, uh, you know, you got to get, get, get over it. Now, um, here's what Moshe Ibn Ezra, and I'm reading a Hebrew translation from the Arabic. It says about our hero. He's writing a generation later. Bayami Mohe'ela Chayu Abu Ibuyub Shlomo Ben Gavriel HaCordovi. In such and such a time lived Shlomo Ben Gavriel, originally from Cordoba. Shenola, or his family, was in Cordoba. And they obviously ran away when the revolution of 1013 broke out. Shenola Ben Amalaka Begolub Saragossa. He was born in Malaga and then he grew up in Saragossa. Who Tika and his Midas now show? Listen to this. He worked on Tika and Amidas. Now that's true. One of the things about our poet, and anybody who can just write to God, I'm waiting to hear from you, is obviously a very thoughtful person, as understatement. And so a person like that is going to be interested in poetry, of course. Not Gemara, as far as I can see, but nevertheless in God's, the Hashem stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, the real thing. And I'll use the word philosophy in its widest medieval sense. He's going to be highly interested in and we'll write books on um, divine philosophy and moral philosophy. Divine philosophy is to understand how God runs the world. And that will be a book of his called, um, what was it called again? Um, 
it's, it's, it's going to tip my tongue. See, uh, one second. Makor Chaim. That's it. Makor Chaim. Sorry about that. Uh, I had to took a look around in my office. I have a whole set of uh, of uh, medieval classics with Nakudas, naturally, that was published in Odessa in uh, about 100 years ago. Um, now there's the Kuzari, the, the Mardavuchim, you know, the Chavaz Alvavas, uh, all that stuff. And one of them is is um, Makar Chaim. And that's Ibn Gavirol's uh, uh, Book of Philosophy. I won't say it's the greatest, but, you know, let me put it this way. He's obviously very much preoccupied with these kind of questions. Who is God? God around the world. And also, moral philosophy, which is Musser. Right? Which is Musser. In the catalog, it says that um, the uh, his Memchar uh, Pneum is the first Muslim book ever printed. That could be. It's not the first book ever written. But the point of the matter is like this. This is not just some yutz running around writing brilliant poems. It's an extremely thoughtful person. Very likely, his his issues, his medical issues, his Asperger issues, his things like this, uh, drove him um, to to de- de- delve deeply into the meaning of life and how the world is run. That's what I think. And he says over here, that he worked on himself not to give in to his tithes. And he tried to have uh, a life preoccupied with higher things. So, Maybe when he was a teenager, he was into partying and things like that to some degree. But he 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 was not, he cleaned himself of that. As he matured, and he worked real hard, according to his level, as and he really went into philosophy in a very deep and serious way, and and of science and secular studies, right? And he goes on to talk about this a great deal. And he says, even Gaviro, Yerachme Elohim, may God have mercy on him, Hayat Sa'ir, Bishanim, Shebekfutsas, Hamashurim Shebedoro. He was the youngest of his generation of prophets. I'm not going to tell you who the other prophets were because nobody has heard of him. That's my point. That's my point. There were dozens of Jewish uh, 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 not poets. There were dozens of Jewish poets at the time. None of them got, they had five minutes of fame and then they're gone. You never heard of them. And there's a reason you never heard of them. And this guy is immortal. And he says, But he was the best of them. Okay? And he goes on to describe this and so on and so forth. But, uh, and he says, He's as good as the Muslim poets, which coming from Moshe ben Israel is a high praise. We can call him the knight. K N I G H T, the shining knight of uh, Melita and the and the uh, artist of Shir. His words are pure and soft, and this and that and the other, and so on and so forth. But right here's the point: He wrote all kind of uh, from song, you know, poems. Basically, and he and he wrote secular poetry. This, not the other, uh, but he had character defects. 
Gam Kosav Shirei Hisnatslus Adinim. He wrote a lot of poems of apology. Veshiri Matoshinim. And then poems of making fun of people. So I guess he had to apologize because when somebody wasn't treating him with good respect, he used to make a poem and and skewer the guy and then feel bad about it later on. Even though he tried to work on himself by getting an education in Musr, in philosophy, in his Tevanaskala, he had uncontrollable temper. He says his words. His wild temper came to dominate his seichel. He couldn't control his temper. And to overcome the Satan within him. That sounds like 20th century Sigmund Freud. He had a, a, a Satan in him, meaning, now I'll tell you again, if he's in pain all the time, that totally explains it to me. Right? He couldn't control himself, and therefore he didn't have good mazel because a clever poet who was a businessman, right? I was thinking, bottom line, a clever poet would say, like this, I'm not going to insult anybody that sends me, um, you know, uh, patronage, anybody sends me a sponsorship, uh, you know, that kind of talk. He wasn't like that. He would say, oh, you send me this thing. You think you're going to be famous with me? And, and, and bite the hand and feed him. Okay? It was easy for him to lose his temper and write poems, smashing and cutting up with divri lagabuz, with words of, of, of mockery and booze and shame. Uh, all, a lot of big people. Well, guess what? They all are not going to be fans of yours. Right? And he goes on and on and on, on about this. Uh, now, if he died at the age of 29 or 30, which is what they say, that's what this author says. Do you understand a guy had a short and, and, and tough life? And uh, I'll say it again. The losing of the temper is very likely to me to be medical. You understand? Um, we cannot under... Uh, you know, estimate the effects of somebody's living with a constant pain. Um, if you add to that, there's broken hearts because uh, it doesn't look like you ever got married. So, and by the way, what girl wants to be around that? Correct? Uh, if he had a skin disease, I'm sure nobody wants to marry him. And second of all, he's not tall or handsome. And third of all, he's got a temper like Asperger's. You know? How can you stay married to a guy like that? But that just in, 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 increases his sense of suffering, isolation. And like many people, he, he looks as, as something divine. And he ascribes great meaning to his own suffering. That's how he came to terms with it. Great meaning and suffering. And the result is that he, um, you know, expressed it in unbelievably amazing poems. So uh, it's really just, I don't know, it's just a fascinating kind of business. Now... I'm not doing justice to the poetry because I have to sit here for an hour or so and read, but I'll I'll do a, a, a very tiny little sort of thing. Uh, if I pull out my Sherman and he's fantastic, then he can he describes himself Ani Hasar Bashirli I am the master of poetry. It's not untrue, but it's a very proud way of talking. Ani Hasar Bashirli Levin. Ani Kinor Shirayim Benognim. Right? I am the, 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 the harp for all the singers. Right? And my poems are like a crown on kings. They're gewaldic. And my poems are like the coin girl's hat. 
I'm only 16 years old, and I have a heart the wisdom of Kolev ben Yifune when he was 80. Now, you say, oh, that's unsufferable arrogance. I get it, but that's a genius, that's a Eloy. Do you get it? That's a Eloy. Uh, but th- then, sometimes he's in a different mood. Elohai, saw of Anosi B'chaper, bear my sins and forgive them. Fiim also rab misaper, even though there are too many to count. Wow. <laughs> what mood was he in when he wrote this? Saw of Anosi B'chaper, fiim also rab misaper, even though there are too many to count. Adonai, while tifkot avon offer vaver. Right? Just be in a chesed mood and, do, and remember I'm offer vaver. Fiim yotzik zeril hamisi elohai, and if there's a gzera to kill me, batlos of a hofer. So he must have had a health crisis. Eventually, the health crisis took him down. And so he's praying in pain. The only difference is, when we're in pain, we just say, Oi vey, and get me some medicine, this, that, and the other. He writes a poem to give expression to his feeling. And let my machla be my produce. Let my suffering, the illness be my salvation, meaning the thing that gets me out of it, but to gossip become most of And let my deep depression take the place of most and kofer. And again, the wonderful double entendre, kofer meaning the word kapara, but kofer always meaning like kofer. You know, you, the Torah says you pay a price, correct? You pay kofer. You know, pinyin nasho. So, you know, he's a genius in this stuff. Uh, he ended up, as I said before, going to Granada, and Shmuel Anogid, who was the height of his power, supported him. But and at the beginning, he writes these poems, oh, Shmuel Anogid is a Gavaldiga guy. Shmuel, Mason, Beno Labrad, Vamata Ali Kano, Duna Shmuel Labrad, the great poet is dead, and you've taken his place. Vachalina Maud, Elav Ulam Hinchino, always building him up. And he has another poem, Mizos Kabo Shachar Olam Ishkafa, you're like the, 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 the morning star, you know, you're a brilliant genius. But then, somewhere along the line, obviously, they had a, a falling out. <laughs> to me, it's pushing. He probably said, Shmuel Nugget probably said, what do you think of this poem I wrote? And Ibn Grill said, is it junk? <laughs> you know, because that's his nature, is junk. And Shmuel Nugget was the type of guy, I can take it once, I can take it twice. After a while, it gets, you know, too much to take. And so he said, just get out of here, you're off my payroll. And he said, Emor Lassar, Asher Olav Agavar, Tell this Tsar, this Prince Shmuel Anugid, Asher Olav Agavar ben Echbaras Besev Abon Yudumar, he's risen so high and the whole world is speaking about him. Bechol Batach, Velo Nezar Lovavi. My heart had betochen in you, Velo Nezar didn't work out. No, you're a disappointment. Avobosh, Masher Kiva Beshiba. It's a busha, rather, what you've done to me, rather than what I, I hoped for and prayed. Kivas Nati Beis Poschol Adodo, you're like a, a a pretty girl who smiles at her beloved, and then who over, and then she hits the road. So in other words, you played with me. You get it? As you played with me, and he can't get over that. Uh, again, I'm using the this these one liners because who's got time to podcast for the long ones? Or Lagon Veshir, he's writing for plagiarists. A lot of people apparently went ahead and um, you know. Went to plagiarism. Have you stolen? You know, it's in the Chumash. Have you stolen and denied my words? Meaning, you, you stole my poems and you deny you stole them from me. 
and you broke down the fence because if you steal something from me, you go on my property, you know. And you're hoping to become famous through my poems, and you'll get patrons to help you out in troubled times. Is it possible, right, to rise so high, a personal hostile malitev ma'oris, and to hide what you're doing from he who runs the world? One thing is clear to me. Can there come from one bucket whole rivers? Meaning, you can't steal that much from me. You see? Or chubasu mishubasu. On and on and on. Okay? On and on and on. Now these are just little bits where he has, you know, so many dozens of these. It's just amazing. Um, A very interesting one from my perspective, is, um, and here's one where he says, you're making fun of me because I'm short. Shut your mouth. And, you know, like in the Zechariah Torah. And God has uh, screamed at you, Sutton. Am I little in your eyes just because I'm short? Don't look at how tall I am. Read my poems. I'm like Aver, who was the father of Yotan. Yotan, like, you know, back in Bracious to 70 nations. But he's talking over here, obviously, about, um, you know what I mean, about uh, uh, Aver is the father of the Jewish people, you know, the great grandfather of Abraham. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm beyond a Katan. I'm a Vyotan. I'm a, 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 a progenitor of a whole race, meaning I'm a, I'm a hush of a person, you know. And he has this thing from Haigon, where is it? Or of high, I mean, his time of Haigon apparently died, which makes sense. And, uh, and the, the times fit. And he basically said like this, that's the end of the Gedolim. <laughs> Sounds like that. This is the end of the Gedolim. Where is it? Hold on one second. Here it is. I'm flipping around in my rusty, trusty Sherman over here. Nigdo Karen the great horn, right? Meaning the Gadolador of Haigon. Nigdo is not broken. He died. He gvers kalmedino, who asher bo rom levovo. He is the one whom they were so proud of. Mace, vameh tigbina. And now what are you going to do? Hoysel letzri aratzos. He was the glory of the whole world. Vatiha yom l'shnino. And now he's gone, right? L'mash l'shnino. Now he's just the object of conversation. That's very biting, right? A cuddle, a great person dies, and now they just talk about him. Nasna bavel baoznai. Call Yeshaka Kol Nigino, Babylonia, because he was the last Gadol in Babel, has given in my ears Kol Yeshaka Kol Nigino, a voice that has now silenced all songs. Rav Shaoni Al Gaoni, oh, I'm so uh, 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 sad. Babel says over the death of the Gon, Achrov Ein Chanina, I have nobody after him. Nesav Chovayom the great captain of the ship is gone. Me and Ahal Hasvina, who will run the ship? Now, this is biting because he was right. There was no successor of Haitan. They really had over there in Babel what we've seen in other times, which is a certain God who dies, there's nobody taking the place. Or, uh, cry, my people, and put on sak, and break all the instruments of song. He left us a shirts of plate on the earth. Who are we going to cry for now? Who will we cry more for? 
Shall we cry more from now on from the ark of the ancient temple buried somewhere in Zion? Or the other ark who is now buried in Bubble, meaning the great God of the Height. It is a classy way of writing. It's a classy style of writing. Uh, now, when he lost his patron, Shmuel uh, Nugget, I don't know what he did. He ended in Valencia. He, I'll say it again. This is not a guy that you would like to have at Shabbos table. Be, well, let, let's put it this way. If it's just you and your wife, you can have him at Shabbos table. If you have kids there, you can't have a Shabbos table because they'll shoot his mouth up and say something stupid. On the other hand, he can walk away and write a poem about spending Shabbos by your table and <laughs> immortalize you. <laughs> you understand? You know, as a, as as amazing person. Um, he entered the Klai Yisrael mainly because of the religious poems. Um, we just had... Um, it's an amazing poem. Uh, in my show, they kill it. But, you know, if you know what it is, or we had Shomer and Titan Kola the other night we did on, on the night of Tisha B'Av. Uh, read these things. Uh, they're amazing. Now, I would say, generally speaking, only people interested in poetry into this kind of stuff. It, by the way, I kind of forget that if you are a regular listener and you'll find his poems hard to translate, which they are, there's a, a new thing called the po- Penguin Poetry Book. Some professor poetry wrote 30, 40 years ago. They did a small selection among many others. That's okay. But the Jewish Publication Society long ago, when they existed, did uh, in the 1920s, I believe it was, um, the three biggies, Ibit, Moshe Benezer, Yehuda Levi, and Shlomo Ben-Gaviro. So It's probably called a buck online. I'm serious. It's called the Shift Library of Classics. Uh, selected religious poems, some in Gavirol, translated by Israel's Anglo. And, you know, it's, it's some of his poems in English translation. The problem is it's that fancy, old-fashioned British English which they try to imitate Shakespeare. And so sometimes you need a, a translation of the translation. Having said that, it's better than nothing. And um, it's pretty, you know, for a person that's interested in this at all, but you don't know how to access this, and you might not be an expert in Hebrew, which is a shame. We live in a generation of uneducated. Um, you know, it's a, this is a way to access it. Now, there are two um, classic, very famous poems that entered the Kleiser. There are many, but I'm just thinking of two. Um, and one is the Azharos, which means that the Bahag, uh, who lived in the 900s in Babylonia, uh, in the Gonic period, Shimon Karagon, or maybe it wasn't a Gon, somebody pointed out to me the other day, the Bahag, the Halachas Gedolas, uh, he got fixated on the Tariag um, theme. It's always, I've said many times, here and elsewhere, I don't know why they got hooked on Tariag, but they did, because there's a lot more than Tariag over there. But without getting into that subject, he got hooked on Tariag, and he composed his list of the Tariag mitzvahs, and our hero uh, wrote a, a poem, uh, which is just wonderful because he's such a genius poem, and it rhymes so nicely of all the Tariag mitzvahs, the Asseis and Losasseis, and the Azharot it's called, and uh, they're used. I mean, I, when I was a little kid, I think we'd still sit in Shul. Now you don't see Dashkan saying in Shul as far as I know. The Sfaradim, I believe, do. Um, I've had some Sephardi students, and they gave me a Syrian Moxer 
for Shavuos and it had all the Azharas in it in English and, all, and in Hebrew. And because um, I like Cousin Akudas, you know me. Um, and it was very good. Uh, it's just a lot of fun if you ever want to go through the Tariq Mitzvahs in a poetry form. Because he's not Stam a poet in the Veldrein, what they call in English a poet taster, you know, a class B poet. Uh, he's a genius. It's everything works wonderfully. Um, the Mitzvahs Asin, the Los Asses. Um, the Rambam freaked out over this, as is well known, because he disagreed. By the way, the Rambam and our hero are very different types. Uh, although they did share an interest in in um, moral philosophy and in um, um, metaphysics, but the Rambam is solidly educated, came from a complete more hush of family, uh, you know, and he got no time for poetry. Uh, and it drove him crazy, he says, that synagogues picked it up because the Azharas are written so well. And, you know, me, myself, and I, and you, you'll say like this, all right, so let's say they got two or three wrong from the Tariq Mitzvahs. You know, uh, it's famous that the Bahag includes the nearest Hanukkah or something like that. Big deal. You know what I mean? Big deal. The Hamonam, the singing this, and Shul is having a great time, and they're uh, being raised in their spiritual level to think of the Tariq Mitzvahs. All right, so two or three or four or five or six of them, not exactly so. But if you're Rambam, oh no, <laughs> oh no. He said, this is Mitzvah, and it's not, and this is Mitzvah, it's not, and he screwed this up, and uh, it freaked him out, and that's why the Rambam wrote Sefer Mitzvahs. Everything I just told you, the Rambam writes in his Akdoma to the Sefer Mitzvahs, which is in Arabic, right? And he doesn't mention Shmuel Ibn Gabriel by name, but he says, oh, now it's bad enough that Bahag came up with the wrong count, and now some poet has made this popular Ayikvei. And, um, you know, the Rambam wrote his thing. Now, believe me, as you understand yourself, most of the mitzvahs are, are what they are. They're, they're mostly it's overlap, correct? I mean, give me a break. Most of it is an overlap. And, you know, you count every carbonola, like one mitzvah, two mitzvahs, you're getting this nitty-gritty stuff. Um... Uh, so the Rambam blasts this, and he presents his his um, version of the Tariq Mitzvahs. It's very interesting. In later Middle Ages, <clears throat> there were those who felt the Rambam wrongly maligned uh, both the Bahag and Ibn Ghiro. And the Tashbets, right? the Shalas and Shubas Tashbets, Shemim Mitzvah Tzemach Duran, the big Sephardi got old from the late 1300s, he wrote a book, and I have it. It's called Zohar Harakia, and it's a peerish on the on Ibn Gavir's poem. That's how it is. So really, it's a peerish, in other words, on the um, Bahag, in which, obviously, he's defending most of the time, most of the time, he's defending Bahag against the Rambam. You know, that was part of the game in the Middle Ages. You have the Sefer, what's it called, the uh, Megillus Esther and the, the Hasagas of Ramban. There's a whole little thing of... Uh, in which they fought over whether Rambam got this mitzvah right or that mitzvah right. I'll just give you one example, since we just finished Tishabot. There's a Satmar vote. You know, uh, the Rambam doesn't count Yeshavarits. It's one of the tag mitzvahs. Does that mean he holds like Chaim Kohn that there is no mitzvah of Yeshavarits, at least nowadays? Or is it rather as a Heksher mitzvah? You know, you get in that kind of business. Even though really, 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 we all understand it's a game, because even those mitzvahs which are not counted for one reason or another, the Tariyag, you still are mitzvahs. You get it? The Rambam still holds that a person should live in Israel, for example. Whether you can as one of the Tariq system or, or not the Tariq system. Uh, but whatever it is. Oh, time's running. Let me let me uh, stop this for a second. Hi, I had to interrupt this uh, rabbinical walk up there. Um, I think I was talking about the uh, 
the poem Azharot. And uh, what I was saying was that since it's, a, it's based on a slightly different count than the Rambam, so the Zohar Akia, which is a book by the uh, Tashbits, has all commentary on it. Uh, it was his Mafalpa, you know, is the Rambam right? Is it a, what do the other Rishonim say? It's a very interesting little sort of thing. Um, but only if you're into the Tayyad. Nevertheless, the poem by itself, the Azharas, is a masterpiece, in my humble opinion. All I can ever give is my humble opinion, as you know. I see ad infinitum. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, you understand? The Rambam would never be the type of person to write out a poem in a nice, easy, memorable, and pretty way. That's not who Rambam is. He has his strengths. Ibn Gabir was a difference, they were saying. Now, um, although I should have to take it back to Rambam when he wants to turn it on. When he when he wants to turn it on, he can turn it on. If you read some of those introductions to the letters he writes to the Chachmi Luniel towards the end of his life, oh boy, is he lay on the Melitus very thick. And he even says, I'm, I'm, I'm departing from my regular style to follow the Spanish custom. He, he says those words. But typically, the Rambam, of course, does not do that. <clears throat> so, if the uh, if Ibn Gabriel only wrote the Azharas, he would be famous. But the other massive poem, which is bigger, is the Kesser um, Malchus, in which he talks about what God is. And here's where it coincides sort of with his philosophical interests, because he wrote this philosophy book, as I said before, right, the Makar Chaim, and, uh, you know, it's the medieval Neoplatonic stuff, but I, the, the funny thing is like this, <clears throat> basically describes a person walking towards the heavenly throne to see the Kesser Malchus. Um, he has to get by a whole bunch of false ideas. Sounds very Maimonidean, right? Um, these these ideas, the falsity of these ideas, although he doesn't say it, are um, only exposed by philosophy. So he starts by saying, Oh, all that stuff. But then, after you get to the flowery beginning, then he gets down to um, a description of God, or more exactly, in the classic medieval philosophical style, what God is not. And he goes on that. You think you're reading Maimonides. Most of what the Rambam wrote about, even in the Moran is really taken from others. I always try to make this point. Matter of fact, I did a talk on it. I'm, I hope to finish my last um, seventh lecture. Six are up on my YouTube site, as you know, probably, on the Maimonidean controversy. And one of them I described Rambam as a great popularizer. Now, it's not fair. Some of the ideas in there are his own, but they're really fearing ice, as they say, the ideas that are already there beforehand. And I always like to point to Ibn Gavir, because he wrote this before the Chobos Alababas existed, before the Kuzri existed, and all the rest of it. Right? You're, you exist. But then again, as the Rambam would say, not in the regular existence. No, you're a different type of existence than the word existence. Right? And then the next chapter is But God is not alive either. What do you mean God is not alive? As I always say, alive is a created concept. God cannot be alive because he don't have attribute. Right? 
Hamagil Lisodcha, Yimsatani Golam, Ochel Vachay Olam. One who can chop to philosophical pshat that you are chai, but not in a regular chai, gets tiny golub. Ata gadol in a whole chapter in that. Ata gibor in a whole chapter in that. You know, ata chacham in a whole chapter in that. Because in each case, he's got to say we use these words, but we don't mean them in the way that you usually mean them. And really, it's a negative theology. Okay. And then after going page and page and all this other stuff, and then he talks about the how the the the, the what he calls the astronomy cannot comprehend you. And me obim besodo secho, and you hakipa gadol sheni ashlishi. He goes through all the cosmology. It's very medieval, right? Now, I mean, it's mamish medieval. It's not just astronomy. It's the astrology, the cosmology, the whole business that uh, you know, the gadol shabsai al gabishmini, and so on and so forth. The mazolos. What this was cutting edge philosophy and science back in his time in the eleventh century. Okay, I mean, there you have it. And um, after going through this and this and this, right, he gets eventually gets, I'm flipping through pages, goes page and pages, but they're all good. You see, ordinarily you say it's boring. If you actually read this, the guy's a genius. So the Hebrew, if you if you have understanding of Hebrew, now it's not easy, but it's not hard either. I have too many of Averis, too many to count. When we say vidoy, you know when I know, even a Yom Kippur, we're only remembering a tip of Menayam, a drop of what we did wrong. Maybe I can silence not the ocean, but some of the waves. He says his own, what do you call it? Oshamnu, get it? You ask the Lara, the ain't Haker. I mean it's it's really common Saras no Galti. And he goes through a whole laundry list of sins. Believe me, you don't have to go too many pages before you find the sin that fits you the best. <laughs> you know, that's what I think. Now, um he coaches the throne. He's hoping, you know, that his uh, his missus will uh will get him through the experience. But then in the end, of course, he realizes, you know, <laughs> My mitzvahs aren't worth a darn in the sense of the Mesilsi Sharm. If you actually look through your mitzvahs, they're pretty low quality and so forth. So it's quite a remarkable religious experience. And that's why it used to be a custom in many places to recite the Kesar Malchus in the Domini. Maybe the Sephardim still do. I don't know. I'm not Sephardi. I'm serious. I think I think they do, or some do. Uh, but one of the reasons you do is this is high-level stuff. And so if you just wrote the Kesar Malchus itself, it would have made him immortal. Plus, must be hundreds of other poems. I don't know. It's a velt. Okay? And I repeat. Some are Shiri Kodesh. That's the ones I've mostly spent time on today. Some are Shiri Cheshev. You know, his love poems about girls. Some are Shiri Chol. About life. You know, he's got every variety because that's what they did. I know the art school can't write about this when they include him in the Rishonin book. And I made this point many times. When you get to these medieval masculine in Spain, uh, they lived in the time of Rishonim. That's not what the yeshivish called Rishonim, but our scholars declared that they are. And, more important, the, the, the from world has taken their poems and included in the liturgy and the davening. You cannot get a higher compliment than that. This would never happen nowadays. Anybody who wrote the most from poems in the world, but at the same time wrote other poems, they say, oh, that makes you trafe. You get it? But that's not how 
our ancestors a thousand years ago viewed things. They incorporated the greatest of these works, and the other stuff is Lav you know what I mean? No, the other stuff is not who, who the main thing who they were, which is a, a very broad way of looking at things to my mind. Uh, it's true that he was preoccupied trying to find the meaning of life, having all of his tsaris, I understand that. And uh, in his case, it comes very passion, search for God. But it also comes a search for wisdom. And you see the wisdom in his book on philosophy, which he's trying to understand the, how the world works. Incorporating, you know, what they call the Neoplatonism, which becomes very popular among the Jews, but in a firm way, right? Never in a way that's unfirm, right? After all, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, he also has another little book, but also there's Mivkar Paninim, which is the one that's being sold at this auction that I mentioned about the sponsor today. The Mivkar Paninim is really cool. Um, I don't know if you have 50k to drop on it. By the way, the sale is um, next Wednesday. Uh, the auction online. If you if you're a player and you're interested in this, you go online. You'll 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 Google Genazim, G N A. Z-Y-N, and you'll see the whole thing. Uh, but if you're interested in the Mivchar Paninim, uh, you can go online. It's a Jewish classic, and what's really cool is that they're full of pithy one-liners. That was a certain Arabic style, and he did it for Jewish. So, uh, you're Shar HaShtika, Shar HaKas, Shar HaChachma, Shar HaMesinas, Shar HaMuna, and so forth, different mitos. Now, I've always found the Mivchar Paninim perfect. You're going to laugh at what I'm saying, but I don't care. They're perfect for high school yearbooks when you need a one-liner for somebody's, uh, you know, page. Yeah, you want to sound like you're wise or something smart. He's got to vote them because these are wisdom statements that could apply to anybody. You don't have to be Jewish. Here, let me uh, pull up Shara uh, Shtika, the first one. Kishani Medaber, Ani Mischarek. Kishani Medaber, Lo Ischarek. That's obvious enough. Who most shall be? When I say something, what I've said now controls me. But what I didn't say, I control it. Better those who are lazy in silence are better than those who are lazy in deeper. No, those who are more silent are better than those who talk. Uh, uh, this is very Jewish. Anything you want, want your enemy to know, don't don't share with a friend. <laughs> Boy, is that true, right? So, your secret is your prisoner. In Tigaleo, when you tell to somebody, you're now a prisoner of the secret. And it's also very true, you see? Um, and so forth. And so on. Here, let's do one more. Uh, just give you an idea. These are bits and pieces. Let's do anger. Sharkas. Achris kol ketoto charoto. Good line. Achris kol anova shalom. Mishon ain't emotional bakaso ain't sichlo shalom. If you can't control your temper, you're not totally shalom. It's funny that he would write this. This was his problem. Mishon ain't emotional bakaso kol shkim emotional bezulaso. If you can't control your temper, you can't you can't rule some you can't control somebody else. You see, chaverim. Uh, the best friend is one that deals honestly with you. Right? Uh, 
If you have a hundred friends, don't make light of the fact you have a hundred friends. And if you have a single enemy, don't treat that lightly either. Okay? I remember he had a great line here. Uh, one second. He said, if you want to... Here it is. If you're interested, possibly, in becoming somebody's friend, here's how you test him. Do something, get him angry. And when he's in a bad mood, see if he's honest and truthful with you. Dead, apologize and make friends with him. <laughs> but you see, when he's angry, he loses it and he starts lying and this, that, and the other. He failed the test and you don't want to be friends with him. Little one-liners like that. You know, that's the kind of mustard they left in the Middle Ages. Very Arabic. The bottom line is that I would consider that the least of his um, works. But I wouldn't mind owning something that's written in the 15th century. Uh, and so, in conclusion, Shlomo Gabiro was like a, this brilliant genius with a troubled mind, troubled life. Uh, in the uh, contest between the Jews and the Arabs for culture and, and eloquence, I mean, he's like one of our best weapons because he didn't say, oh, we're better than you and all that. He proved it. Uh, I haven't scratched the surface. You get the idea of his poems. There are hundreds of them, and they're all, I don't think there are any bad ones. Uh, they're depressing ones. And they're funny ones also. Not too often the funny. Depressing is very good and depressing. Uh, but, you know, nature, every every aspect of life. And you don't have to know this. This is what called the Haskell of the Middle Ages. But it's like music. Anyone who knows it, your life is enriched. That's what I think. I always had, if I, I as you know, I'm a fan of this stuff. If I had the opportunity, I would do once a week something from the poet, medieval poetry because I think it's very cool. But uh, if you're at all interested, uh, then you have to get the right books to crack somebody like uh, Ibn Gavirol. But even if you do a few of them, you still have uh, 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 a very good feel. I think your Yiddish card will just be expanded. Let's put it this way. Expanded. Anyway, I've spoken long enough. Once again, I want to thank Genazim for sponsoring today. Their, their summer event, their, their uh, what do you call it, their auction, is next Wednesday. That'll be July 28th. With that, I bid you all good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.